0: Welcome to the Home Care Hub, a podcast series for the Home Care Advocacy Network. HCAN is a business format franchise for senior living providers who want to operate a successful home care line of business and a great opportunity for any entrepreneur who wants to own their own home care franchise. To connect with us, visit hcanthrive.com today. Welcome to the Home Care Hub, a podcast series sponsored by the Home Care Advocacy Network. My name is Mark Getz, President and CEO of the Home Care Advocacy Network. And today we are with Dr. Joy Dahl, one of our very good friends of HCAN. And it's an honor to have you here again today.
1: Yeah, oh, thanks for having me back.
0: So, Dr. Joy, let's just jump in. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, are you a native Omahaan or? Did you arrive here by other means?
1: I arrived here by other means. I decided to get my doctor of occupational therapy. And there were three programs at the time. And Creighton University was the cheapest. Found out about it on a t-shirt. No lie.
0: You found out about Creighton on a t-shirt? Yes. Okay.
1: So if God gives signs, that's probably a pretty clear one.
0: So tell us about that. Like, where was it?
1: I Where was on an undergrad and I was going to go to Emory and get a master in public health. And was this then, in Alabama? Yeah. I went to undergrad at University of South Alabama. So my friend came back with a shirt that had a joke we used to say. And then it said the, it was a Creighton OTD shirt. And I was like, what's the OTD? And then there were three programs. And like I said, Creighton was the most affordable. So I told my parents I'm applying. And if I get in, I think I'm moving to Nebraska. And they were like, okay. Oh, awesome. So did it, came here. And then got stuck i moved around a lot when i graduated my doctorate my parents were living in europe my sister was going to auburn so i was like i'll just stay here a couple years till they come back to the states and then they they moved to philadelphia didn't say and then they moved to beaumont texas and i was like yeah no gotcha so still here
0: good that there's no state income tax but
1: yeah but i yeah there's a lot of great things about yeah
0: so you uh and then you grew up in was it west virginia
1: well i was born in west virginia but we moved around so i've lived in eight states thus far and yeah so moved around lived outside of seattle and outside philly and the south you know basically just not new england
0: yeah okay (laughs) so top one or two places that you've lived
1: well it's always hard to say because you live with them at different ages yeah but there's a great great things about everywhere you live and i'm really passionate about the local experiences because when we move you know we didn't know other kids so we we always did the local things we're always surprised how many local people didn't do the local things so Mm -hmm. really into like local food and yeah the, the local supporting local businesses things like that like you guys
0: yeah i appreciate it yeah you yeah you recommended a restaurant to us last year that had not been at local so had a good experience there and you've been a big part of the community and growing it here in omaha as well but then you've just naturally kind of branched out to all corners of the U.S. and and probably the globe just with your your mind. Like a lot of people have seen your TED Talk and your um, lore is starting to grow, you know, and you've done some great things and you've helped develop some great things. We're going to talk a little bit today about promoting age-friendly health systems and um, similar topic to what we've talked about in the past, but today... We're gonna talk a little bit about remote patient monitoring. You know, also we're gonna chat a little bit more about your work at a company called Stink uh sorry, Stink. Sink. <laughs> Sink Health, which is Nebraska's health information exchange. We don't stink. You don't you do Hopefully not stink. Not. So, what are the big obstacles that you're trying to solve for at Sync Health?
1: Yeah, so at Sync Health, I'm the Vice President of Academic Programs. And so our company is looking at data interoperability and data democratization of health data. But what I'm really focused is how do you take all the data in electronic health records and the health information exchanges as a repository for health data and translate that for the good of our community. So, how do we study? what's been delivered and done and make it better. So we did a study looking at, for example, low back pain and imaging, and we found that 51% of the imaging was wasteful. So Hmm. could we advocate to policymakers about reimbursement for intervention rather than imaging, you know, or how do we educate patients about, a lot of imaging is paid out of deductible. So, you know, it's a lot of costs on the patient. Yeah. Yeah, so that's one example. We're also involved in looking at medical respite for the homeless. We're doing some projects on, neonatal abstinence exposure and, and how we do a better job of, uh, you know, there's some, I was told a story just yesterday where a mom was in the NICU with a baby with withdrawal and she had no idea the medication she was taking would harm her child. Wow. So, so we're really focused on how do we help take data and make better informed decisions.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the future of older adult care. So HCAN is a, is a franchise company we're setting up really local offices of the Home Care Advocacy Network and then we have a model where a senior living provider can access the tools, resources and system to start their own successful home care company where maybe they've tried it in the past and they've they've failed or it was it's been explained like yeah, we've tried that before, it was just so far down the totem pole so then in our organization it ended up not working. So we're working to kind of elevate that, help them to see what it is to be um, like the the um, what we call as one of our values, the privilege of caregiving, and and start that. But let's let's talk about a couple of the topics that are affecting uh, older adult care, and one of them is remote patient monitoring. The other thing that comes right along with that is workforce, and so mm-hmm. we're going to talk about both of those those topics today. Um, but let's discuss remote patient monitoring and telehealth. So there's been naturally uh, over the last year, especially there's been a huge uptick in telehealth and telehealth services and funding. But what are the biggest advances that have been made in your opinion? And then what are some of the attractive models out there for older adults that you've seen?
1: Yeah. So telehealth has exploded with COVID-19 being forced to do that. Mm -hmm. It's so I'm on a national committee on telehealth and what's been really interesting is how diverse the delivery of it is so before the pandemic a lot of telehealth was delivered by a contracted service or a vendor so they it wasn't actually connected to the health system you could access it but it didn't feed into your electronic health record hmm. so when uh covid happened and we wanted to encourage vi- virtual visits you know, a lot of health systems weren't set up to do that. Um, Zoom does have a HIPAA option. So that's an option. Yeah, they do have a HIPAA protection option, which is important to know about. And a lot of telehealth is actually done via phone because people don't have broadband, especially in rural areas. So what's been really fascinating to me is to listen through this national committee and hear how diverse the delivery system is, which is going to be challenging for us to find best practices when everyone's trying to figure it out. Now, They had to so we have to under give grace for that but so telehealth you know it includes things like e-prescribing so electronic prescribing it includes you know uh, remote patient monitoring and remote patient monitoring you know is is really a proactive way to help people be aware of what's going on and so there's programs that some of them are diagnosis specific like congestive heart failure for example and they notice, oh, wow, they've had an uptick in fluid, so we might need to check in on them. Um, others are just monitoring how someone's doing, what's their daily routine. So there's also a lot of diversity in remote patient monitoring systems and what they do and what their intention is for. So, I mean, I think the first place to always start is like, what what kind of services do you want? The reality is the technology's is there uh, to do mm. remote patient monitoring, but it's not always well connected with the health systems or offered in a way that's available to everybody. Some companies do it actually not even connected to a health system and consider it kind of a, not a healthcare delivery model, which I would say monitoring anyone's activities of daily living is,
0: mm-hmm.
1: is healthcare, but uh, not everybody views it that way. So there's huge diversity, but with diversity and, pers- and innovation, there's opportunity.
0: So, right. So attractive models and systems. Have you seen something emerge in the marketplace that we're, you're like, ooh, like, that's there that's going to take a foothold or maybe something that you've seen that you just maybe are thinking yeah that's probably not going to take a foothold
1: yeah well i really think remote patient monitoring is incredibly powerful to you know keep someone in their home and that's yeah. the goal right so systems that do that but they're they're to me they're happening outside of health, the traditional healthcare system which isn't necessarily bad a lot of health occurs outside of mm-hmm. the healthcare system but if that data isn't shared with the healthcare team you know i think there's challenges there and honestly i think there's a lot of power in understanding someone's daily routines and patterns again we can collect data on that and right now that's just patient report yeah and what patients tell you when they're afraid you're going to change their home environment or provide them service they're not as honest or forthcoming because they're fearful of a loss which is 100%. totally understandable yep. like right like i don't know about you but i lied to my dentist probably about my flossing right you know like we're not always All honest the time. yeah exactly so i think there's and there's some shame in admitting i've had a fall or i feel unsafe here um, or these steps are difficult things like that so you're relying on the patient which a lot of feelings come into healthcare decisions and i was talking to students this week about equity in healthcare and just how complex even simple healthcare decisions can be when there's all this emotion tied to it you know home is such an yep. identity thing so data would get us around a lot of that and show us actually what's happening but the data has to be shared with the right people who can make the right choices about what needs to happen and that's where I see the real gap. I think the technology mm-hmm. is there and it's incredible and it's awesome. The other thing is you have to get people to adopt it. And uh, privacy and security concerns are realistic. Yep. Um, some of these systems are falling outside of HIPAA guidelines. And so I think there's concern there that there could be data breaches or things that are shared with the wrong groups of people. And I don't even think it would be in t- malintented. It might just be a lack of understanding that this is – private health information.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because on just people being passionate about the home. So, I mean, you go back to a movie that everybody knows, which is The Wizard of Oz and the, the eternal words at the end, there's no place like home. There is this thing that's in us that mm-hmm. connects us to our home. And when we look at the long-term care system, one of the trends that we've seen and we've been watching is that. So inside of the care continuum, you have independent living inside of a senior living community, you'll progress forward with assisted living when you've had greater loss of your ADLs and finally skilled nursing, which is really close to uh, end of life care. It's mm-hmm. hearkening back to what it may be a nursing home of the 1960s, 70s and 80s. And then, you know, you have hospice care, which is really end of life care and palliative. But what we're seeing is as a trend, individuals will, individual seniors may move into independent living and think like, oh, there's just this natural progression. But what's happening is they're accessing services at a greater rate inside of independent living. Now, it may not be community led. It might be an outside provider. It might be a telehealth. Mm -hmm. It might be this, that and the other. And then what is happening is there is a a larger shift from independent going directly to skilled because they've held on. There's no place like home for so long. We all know kind of what's next for us. And there's this big jump from independent to skilled kind of hopping over assisted at times because the community in a senior living system wants to provide choice. So they may or may not be aware of how many providers are on their campus. One of the things we're trying to do is help senior living providers actually have their own home care business because even though it's very synergistic, it's very different. It needs right. to run like one of the things that we'll talk about in workforce is when you have a home care caregiver, one of the reasons why home care caregivers work for an agency is that they get what's called psychological stimulation by working with someone on the staff. So that means that. A home care caregiver from a workforce perspective will be able to go directly to somebody that's working in the office and explain to them how their shift went explain to them how the client Mm -hmm. is progressing and then the person working in the office will take notes and in that exchange there's often sympathy and empathy on the part of the caregiver oftentimes that empathy that transition those that kind of interaction those words doesn't necessarily happen inside of a, of a typical community or facility because it's one-on-23 care and not one-on-one on one right. care. So um, that's one of the things that we are seeing as a trend within the long-term care system is that we're, we are seeing this jump because there is this greater access to remote patient monitoring and services like HCANs.
1: I saw that even years ago when I did home safety assessments, I'd go in and I'd find things like the stove is unhooked, but they leave it there, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, or there would be people. I had a caregiver one time tell me, I'm not really their friend. I'm the caregiver. I'm like, I know, you know, I can tell. Right. right? Yeah. Um, But the person had dementia and really should not have been where they were. I mean, you know, that's, that's the hard part. That
0: is. Yeah. There's a balance.
1: And so, and as an occupational (coughs) therapist, if someone is referred to home health, to me, it doesn't, I don't care where their home is. So you're right. I could easily be going into their home, providing them care. And the, the, I never reported that to the facility. Right. Because that's between me and the patient. Actually, I can't because of HIPAA. That's right. Um, You know, obviously they have a right to ask me why I'm in their facility. And I just say, I'm seeing someone, but I don't, I actually would be violating HIPAA to report that. So, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. So I saw that for years and I think, and, and then I think, wow, this person is paying for assisted living and they have a caregiver, like really this, mm-hmm. how could we coordinate <clears> these <throat> services? They, there were gaps for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what is interesting is that families know that the, the one thing they really want is one-on-one care and these communities are very well-meaning and they have high values, but the nature of the environment is one on many and what a family oftentimes want is that one-on-one and what families tell us in the home care environment is that they want their loved one to be known. Mm -hmm. And something that you and I have talked about is just how do you know, like when you move from one system to another and we've talked about interoperability, but that ability to be known not only by your health record, but as a person, Mm -hmm. you know, how you operate, what you like, what you don't like somebody that can, connect with you from not just who you are now, but who you were yesterday Yeah, um, is so important. So as we, as we kind of talk about remote patient monitoring and monitoring patients and what data is being accessed and gathered, who pays for the technology and then who is collecting the data, like, let's just talk about this whole thing. So, you know, you have a remote patient monitoring company and we've looked at a couple mm-hmm. of these together. Tell us some of the, some of the positives and negatives. Let's go deeper into that.
1: Yeah. So obviously this is just my opinion. Um, but I think, yeah, some of them I think are really well intentioned, but I, that's my, I mean, I was on some (coughs) of those, where is this data going? I think Mm -hmm. that's an important question for any consumer using those tools. Where does this data go? How is it protected? What is released? Who's seeing it? And what happens if I want someone else to see it? Like, what if I want my primary care provider to see it is mm-hmm. that something that we can do and what are the rules and and the other question is who owns that data so sometimes yeah. when companies collect data they feel they're the owner of it i mean honestly on our cell phones we to use them we give up data when we go on social media we acknowledge the risk you know that we're giving away data and yeah you know people have different comfort levels with that you know and and we have to respect that but those are some i'd say it's more like what are the questions we need to ask about yeah. that um, the tools are often well-designed and, and well intended and, and then what happens if there's an incidence, whose responsibility is that? Is that on a family? Is that on the company? That is a
0: hundred percent. Yeah. yeah that's and right. like,
1: and then who handles stuff like that, I think is, and you know, there's been life alert and some of those other things for a long time and they have a lot of value, but I mean, how does it, and then does the, you know, then when you get into people with dementia, you know, you might not be able to explain to them they're monitored. They might not understand. So, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you handle those things and what's the consent around that? And, um, you know, obviously in that situation, probably the power of attorneys making those choices and do they understand what they're committing to. So, I mean, for me, I, I think as a consumer I've become much more aware of like where data is going and who I'm sharing it with and, and how I choose to do that. And I think that's probably more of the question and, challenging those companies to, you know, why is this siloed data? I mean, one of the the biggest things I think is a missed opportunity is to develop a technology and not connect your data to the health system in any way or have the ability to share that because you're not helping, you could help clinicians do their job better by having that. Like if they know a person's fallen or Mm -hmm. is having trouble getting up. And then the balance of what do we put in there to help people actually age in place? So, and this is always the challenge with any kind of service, right? Like, okay, maybe you don't want them cooking, but they still can do some meal prep. And you still want people to be active, right? Because mm-hmm. we don't want to promote decline by putting <coughs> in so much support. So the reason why I like remote patient monitoring is it's pretty hands-off, and it puts a lot of trust in the older adult to move around, and then if there's an issue, it gets flagged. And yeah, and I really, I think the other thing with a, artificial intelligence and machine learning is that you know we can look at people's patterns and then... Really, they could be only monitored, checked in when a pattern changes. Say they're, the person doesn't get out of bed at the normal time. or yeah. And maybe they're just not feeling good or they're tired that day. Mm-hmm. And then there's not a disruption where everyone... I feel like a lot of times in older outcare we're very reactive.
0: 100%. The yeah. person had a fall,
1: right. oh, my gosh, we got to do all these things. And it's like, do we really? You know, and Or we wait till the moment is reactive. And there were all these signs. I mean, I went into so many homes where there was so much on the counter. And I would tell families, there are... That's a key sign that they don't remember. If they put in the cabinet and they forget, they start to leave everything out on the counter. It's a key sign. There's some mild cognitive impair like impairment. What are we going to start doing about this? You know, and and having those conversations. And sometimes the older adult, no, people don't even always realize when they have impairment, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not. They're just adapting because that's what the brain naturally does. It naturally adapts. And then I've been in other environments where people have been so over adapted and they're, they don't need it. You know, I Mm -hmm. went into one apartment and this woman had four shower chairs and she wasn't using any of them. They were stacked up in a corner. And I was like, what's the deal Mm. with this? And she's like, well, I don't really understand how to use it. So I just don't use any. of them." I'm like, well, if I set it up right. And you know what, what the story was when they taught her, they taught her to put the shower chair facing her and she didn't like the water spraying on her face. Hmm. So I was like, well, you can just turn the chair around. And I showed her how to move the handle to yeah. the other side and set it all up. And then she's like, oh, and then I helped her donate the other chairs. You know. So she'd been given this, and she was willing to use it, but nobody ever asked her how she wanted to use it. Right. So that's not even technology, but it's still an external thing in the environment. And if we don't assess how people use something or what they're going to use it for, they might never adopt it, and then that's not helping. You've spent a lot of money and not helping anybody.
0: Right. So my kids, they are constantly leaving things out on the counter. Can you come over and help us as a family? (laughs) Yeah. And coach them. I have an 18-year-old, a 15-year-old. I'd say developmentally they're normal. They are. Yeah,
1: unfortunately. Okay.
0: Well, it'd be nice to just have some coaching from you, though.
1: Some reminders.
0: Yeah, it would be helpful. Um,
1: You know, some of that is just being out on your own and realizing there's, I mean, I tell my kids things like, they're like, help me do this. I'm like, well, who helps me do that? And they're like, no one. And I'm like, yeah,
0: do I it. I like it.
1: But I'm kind of mean. so
0: No, but that's good. I need to be more like that. So yeah. that's encouraging. So remote patient monitoring, 100% the future, would you say? And like, does do you think that it actually helps some of the workforce challenges?
1: I could, yeah, for sure. So is it 100% the future? Probably not, because it's probably not the right solution for everybody. And I'm hesitant to panacea, mm-hmm. anything like sure. that. But I think has a lot of opportunity um, if people are willing to do it and and use it. I think huge opportunity to track and and help with prevention and wellness and recognize when's the right time. Obviously, without clinical expertise to make some of those decisions, it's probably not of huge value. So there has to be some good clinical monitoring to say, like, hey, this is sign. Because families may or may not know, like, oh, this is something we worry about, right? Yep. Because we don't want them to overreact or underreact. That's typically what we see, right? We don't see just a, oh, okay, we're yep. going to go with this. So, you know, the to me, with the clinical monitoring and, and with AI, if you could build algorithms that ping people that are monitoring it, I mean, you could do some really cool things and really only bother people or make them aware when there's a real issue. So... I think huge opportunity. Do we have a workload that of a workforce of nurses or who else wants to sit behind a computer and do that? I don't know. I don't think we've really gone there. Um, We still have clinicians, you know, that aren't comfortable with electronic health records and um, telehealth. And to be fair, they weren't that that has happened since they entered practice. So navigating that. And the other challenge that you see in healthcare is it's a complicated workspace. So, one of the things we did at my old position was, you know, work on a workflow for team-based care. And one of our barriers was the electronic health record. And we actually involved the, they're called Redcoats, the people doing it, and actually developed what's called the collaborative care note in the electronic health record. So we could mm-hmm. all document on one page because we didn't have a way to do that. So the technology was a barrier to us collaborating. But a clinician might recognize that, but then mm-hmm. not know where to take it and not know how to make change. And that's something that we kind of found yeah. that we had to have a team that kind of listened, like what are the barriers and then who's the right person? Cause healthcare systems are so complicated. Like maybe I know this is a problem, but where do I take that to get it changed? And what does that change process look like? Mm-hmm. I guarantee you most clinicians know what doesn't work well, but no one's really asking them. Uh, we're working on actually putting together a clinical user group to look at our technology and some of the things and like, some of our super users to say what helped you adopt this versus like ones that don't want it, what would help you use this tool? Yeah. Um, So I think that's part of it. And I'd say my biggest thing is involve your clinicians and your patients. They're going to tell you what they need to do to be successful.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that we've seen in the home healthcare environment. So part of my career was overseeing a, a large home health agency in the state of Maryland And there was an outside company that wanted us to pilot their remote patient monitoring technology because of the RPM code that we would be able to access. And it was a it it was all kind of a very good idea and well intentioned. What what happens is that organizations don't plan from an HR perspective for uh, for additional. So that was actually it took a point five to to one full-time equivalent nurse level individual to be able to actually run yeah. that program it couldn't be it really shouldn't be and and couldn't be add- additive in in my opinion so it's kind of like trying to change a tire while the car is going down the road so you're trying to add it to your nurse and they're cuz they have to oversee on the rpm code they have to oversee that record uh, you know, a number of times each month for this amount of time, they have to be able to document that they've done that. And then you'll get reimbursement. I think, you know, in 2019, it was maybe $135 per month per patient. So there's definitely a business model there for a company and there's value to be given, but you have to get creative in, in actually disseminating the workforce to support it. Right. And that becomes a challenge when organizations just want that to be additive and not uh, to someone's current role and not like, OK, we just we need to find someone just for this.
1: Yeah. And then the yeah. other dynamics are, as you mentioned, reimbursement. So there's yeah. been a huge discussion in telehealth and patient monitoring, even though telehealth is being reimbursed right now because of relaxation of regulation through COVID-19. We don't know if that's going to stay. So there are actually healthcare practices saying we're not going to make that investment if in two years, it's not going to be reimbursed. Like, why would we do that? Yeah, And you can understand from a business perspective, you know, they don't want to go under because they invest in telehealth and that all goes away. I mean, I, I can understand that, that narrative. And then the second piece is, you know, yeah, if you get paid and then, you know, the other piece that I think is often misses your metrics. What is the long-term benefit? Can we show a downstream cost revenue benefit? Can we show cost avoidance? And do our does that message sell to the business people? You know, when we yeah. did one of our projects, we did a cost avoidance of over $4 million and we were told, well, you lost revenue for the organization. So,
0: yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. So that. metrics and and what are the metrics that the, the business folks who are, you know, keeping the doors open, lights on, very important, care about to yeah. be able to make that case. And I see so many programs that are just not evaluated. Like they invest in it and they put the nurse and then it goes away in a couple of years because no one could show that this kept people in their homes or. Mm -hmm. And so when we're looking at someone's looking at a line item, they cross it off. Right. Without really understanding. And there's no evidence to back up why it should be invested in.
0: Joy, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. It's fine. Thanks. um, Love your brilliant mind. Thanks for all of your work at uh, Sync Health here. And we look forward to having you on the program again.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mark.
0: Until we meet again. Thank you for listening to The Home Care Hub, a podcast series for the Home Care Advocacy Network. HCAN is a business format franchise for senior living providers who want to operate a successful home care line of business and a great opportunity for any entrepreneur who wants to own their own home care franchise. To connect with us, visit hcanthrive.com today.